What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? We're back. Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. I know it's been a while since we've done a podcast, but we have some new treats for everyone. Our The Guillotine has a new back end, and it allows each of our listeners to actually interact with each other, search for news, and communicate with each other, but also do something that's really cool, which is select what kind of news they want to receive. So if you want to receive technical news, technique news, theory news, all that information. We're working on getting it so that the RSS feed directs it right to you. You can check this all out at www.artoftheguillotine.com. And just a reminder that EditFest LA is coming up August 6th and 7th with editors such as Sally Menke, Ed Abrams, and Carol Littleton. Be sure to sign up at the ACE website before it sells out. That's www.ace-filmeditors.org. For today, I do part one of my interview with Sabrina Plisko. Sabrina has cut films such as Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, Mr. McGorium's Wonder Emporium, and is currently cutting the Smurfs. If you want to learn more about her work, you can actually use our new handy search bar, which is just under the fading in and out quotes. You can use it to search for articles, videos, blogs, anything you want. I met up with Sabrina in New York at Deluxe while she was cutting the Smurfs. How did you get into film editing? I originally got into film editing because I wanted to be a DP. Starting at an early age, eighth grade, I decided I just wanted to be behind a camera. So I went all the way through college thinking that's what I was going to do. But I went to a small school and I got to do a little bit of everything, which is extremely valuable. And, you know, I got to the editing portion and my instructors always said, oh, you're really good at this, you know, and you just kind of nod and move on. And when I got out of school, I started working on small industrials and I actually worked for the Forest Service and made campfire movies and I did the DPing and I teamed up with somebody they hired from the outside to do the editing and so I asked if I could just go sit and be a part of that process. So I got really involved in editing and that was all 16 millimeter in those days and eventually I was hired to finish cutting the series of campfire movies that I started out shooting and all that. And then I teamed up after that with a friend of mine from college and we got into educationals and I shot them and cut them, he directed them. So I just got into it more and more and more and realized after getting married and having a child very early that post-production was a much more sane place to be. So I ended up, you know, thinking that was more in line with my lifestyle. And I love the fact that I could control and make things happen within one day's time. You started getting into television editing from the industrials and everything. So how did you, I guess there's several transitions um, from industrial to television and television to feature. How did you make those leaps? Well, I, um, once I got into all these other smaller things, I also made the move after my second independent movie, made the move to LA. And that's where I teamed up with Deborah Neal Fisher and chose the path of editing after being told, oh, when you move to L.A., you have to really focus on your path. You can't just say you're a jack-of-all-trades. It just doesn't work that way in this town. So I got into a situation where I was assisting her. We started on a television movie, and then we did Fried Green Tomatoes. 
And after a couple years of assisting, then I was moved up to being an editor. And my first job was a television movie, and that's when those were prolific. They were making many of them, and it was a big format. And my daughter was young at that point, and it was a good place to be. Wanting to be in features, but breaking into it was a whole different matter. So I was content for a while um, doing that. And then I just did a couple of features in there, but just never got my break, but realized also it was a good time to be home and raise a family. And then um, seven years ago, I was uh, called in to help out on Sky Captain. And that started out to be a very small movie, became a bigger deal, and I learned so much about visual effects that I feel like that launched my ability and, uh, you know, brings a lot of strength to what I can offer on the feature front, which is why I get called for all these visual effects movies that I've been doing lately. So it's a progression and it's a, it's a, a timeline of chance and you just never quite know where you're going to end up. You, you think you can choose, but it's not always something you can choose to do. It's sort of a little bit of what you want to do and a little bit of luck and a little bit of, you know, how the stars align. You know, Sky Captain's like heavy in effects. It was almost you know, whatever wasn't a person with a prop was basically effects. Correct. What were some of the things that you learned on there that young students coming out of school or young film editors should know about effects projects? Well, you have to really think effects projects through. There's a lot that goes into the planning and the preparation and you know there's a lot of tools available that people use. It used to be storyboards that's even less used now. Um, animatics are used and they even have you know very uh, complex 3D animatics now. Not 3D but you know dimensional yeah. space animatics. So you can actually plan out your shots doing it in that form before you ever bring in a real camera. So that allows you to figure out how to make the projects, how to pull it together, whether it's blue screens or whether it's all CG or elements within the shot are live and CG. So, so there are tools like that that help plan, but it's also a matter of organizing it once you have shot it and you have it. Then you have to have a whole understanding of how to keep track of it. There's a lot of information you actually have to keep track of while you're shooting, lens information, and that's why there's VFX teams on set to gather all that information and document it, and, and they have many tools that I don't even know about that they use on set these days um, to capture lights and shadows, and you know, there's just so much documentation and preparation that has to go into doing a VFX shot properly. And then once you get into editorial, you know, hopefully all that stuff exists somewhere and you gather it and you create a huge database and it takes, you know, a, a handful of people to coordinate tracking it all. Almost everything has visual effects these days. A commercial, a television show that you wouldn't even think has visual effects, I'm sure, has some. They just, it's everywhere. Blue screens out windows or whatever it is. There, there's just, um, everything has it, so you have to make it a part of what you learn. You don't need to learn how to do it, you just need to learn to understand 
how they're done and the different ways things are done and how to ask questions. Because Sky Captain the World of Tomorrow actually started out as a short and then moved into a feature. Were you a part of the short process? Or? I wasn't. I was actually brought in very late on that process. Carrie, the director, had been working, I think, four years making the short, which is really very similar to what the first five minutes of the movie is. And he made it out of his garage. And he, you know, he said, oh, it's going to take me 20 years if I keep keep up at this pace. So um, a mutual friend of ours saw that clip and really saw something magical and special in it. So she, in turn, brought it to her boss that she, she works with, John Abnett. And he felt the same way, that there's really something very clever and, and genius in this. So he teamed up with um, Carrie and raised some money in conjunction with Raffaella Di Laurentiis. And the three of them together kind of put together this small package and built a, a studio of artists in the San Fernando Valley and just started figuring out how to make the movie. And, and it's, it, like I said, it started out very, very small. It eventually grew where they got big talent because they knew that was the only way they could really get it out there. And it was, it was a good year into the process. I mean, I think from the point they all got involved, it took another two years for it to actually get rolling. It, it was a very long process. And then they created an animatic. In those days, it was just a 2D animatic of the whole movie. They even brought temp actors and actresses in to test shots and figure out you know, how they would fit in the spaces that they've, they had designed. And then I think I was brought in about two months before they actually started going to camera because Raffaella decided that the movie needed to have somebody come in and really polish it. They really didn't have an editing team per se. They, you know, Carrie didn't think an editor was necessary at that point, but they could just drop the shots in once they were done into this creation that he had come up with and that that would be the movie. So I went in and I was asked to actually edit and get it down to a, a realistic length and it became the shooting script for what they actually shot. So originally I was only supposed to go in for a couple of months and let them go off and shoot it, but I didn't leave for about 18 months. I stayed a year and a half because it was, you know, it's an important process that people mm. just don't realize the value. You know, my input, helping to coordinate, putting it all together, and there was many, many coordinators and VFX producers, but just the creative side of it um, I could help, you know, be the referee between all the players and um, try to, you know, get carry what he wanted in the movie and help him reach his vision and appease to the studio and the producers too. So. Yeah, Carrie, it was his first film ever, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's a very ambitious film. Absolutely. How did you work with him so that he got his vision, but made sure that he stayed on track? Like you talked about, he thought he could just put the shots together. So you come in, you have to sort of help him through the process. What was that like? Well, at first, you know, he was hesitant. And then it just was a matter of him sh being willing to see different ideas. And I would pitch things, and I would cut it, and show him different alterations of things, just like you do with any other director. And just showed him, OK, you can. there's three different ways we can do this. And here's the most efficient way. Or what about this? So it became a collaborative process, just like any other process. So. It was, you know, a matter of, of learning and, and um, knowing we couldn't be a three-hour movie, you know, it had to be 
whatever it ended up being 90 minutes or 100 minutes and um, just trying to expedite and and help help him through the process having never done it before mm -hmm. you know I had done a lot of movies and and done a lot of sound and mixes so I, I did a lot of the sound portion of, of that process once we got to the final stages because there were many many visionaries on the visual side he had he had great artists with him on that side so it became just like any other any other process and any other team now in an interview you said that a lot of the effects were outsourced at one point it started out like I said internally as mm -hmm. one studio when it got to the point in the middle of our process where they sold the movie to a studio and we actually had a release date deadline that's when it became very clear that we were not going to make that release with the current structure so they brought in people from the studio that wanted to find vendors around the world to help us finish the movie in the time frame that we had to so we ended up i think bringing in 13 vendors from around the world you know and the there were specialty things that we would need from various vendors. One, you know, if it was water, we went to the vendor that's, you know, had water on their reel that was their their forte. So it just became a huge management issue and racing against the clock, which so many movies do. But it, so that really took a major shift in the middle of the process to go from, you know, a little tiny independent family-run production. I think there was. 40 to 80 of us, something like that, and it became this huge monster with all these vendors and just a lot more to coordinate. So, Did it have any effect on your actual editing? Um, it, it didn't. By the time all the vendors were brought in, the cut was pretty tight and it just you know, became a matter of me just looking at shots as they came in daily and tweaking and working with that. So it, you know, it was just more of a, a management and coordination issue that all the VFX producers and coordinators had to deal with tracking the material that you know was was in so many different places. That's part one of my interview with Sabrina. Be sure to use our handy search bar to search out more information about her work. I'd like to thank Sabrina, Jenny McCormick, and my producer Lauren Woodcock. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.